Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford, and it is Friday. It's August 26th. I cannot believe that almost August is almost over. The summer's going way too fast. We are here live. It is trucking technology and efficiency and a free-for-all Friday as well. Anything goes. We can uh, let loose a little bit today, talk about whatever it is that's on your mind. Anything goes today. Uh, We're not even going to give you a list to pick from. I see I've got Joel on the line already. I'm going to bring him in. Uh, I don't know if we've heard from John yet. Uh, John's not going to make it today. We did hear from John. All right. Uh, I think Joel and I have plenty. Looks like we might have a call coming in already. So uh, we're just going to jump right into stuff today. Joel, welcome back. Hey, how are you? Good. You're all set to talk about the new international engine, aren't you? Uh, yeah, we can talk about that. I uh, I also got a little a little announcement. This is going to be my last trip for Plover Transportation as an employee. So, wow. um, stepping out on my own with the Alpha Drivers, uh, testing and consulting and the Alpha Drivers Transportation. And and uh, I've just been slammed with all of that. And it's, uh, it's, it's well, time to make the change. So that's, that's kind of cool. Well, congratulations, man. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. It's been something, you know, I've thought about for a long, long time. I've actually been working towards that end for several years. And, you know, the, the situations just never made sense to go ahead and pull the trigger. And, right. and, um, finally in that position where, you know, it's, it's, it's the right time. So, um, hopefully starting in September here, we'll be out on our own as alpha drivers. Wow. Wow. I love that. That's awesome. And you know what? Timing is important. And you realize that. It's you you've been looking at it. The timing wasn't right. The timing is right now. <laughs> yeah. I, you know. But yeah. you know, here's something else that people might think is a little crazy. The last couple of years you've been thinking about doing it and kind of getting ready, but it, it wasn't the right time. The conditions were excellent. Everybody was making it. Everybody was making money. Now, people are probably looking at you going, what is he, nuts? This is, it's awful. But I've been saying this for years and years and years. This, in my opinion, is the best time to start a business at the bottom. If you're confident enough that you can start at the bottom, what the hell would you have to worry about? That's exactly my thought here. You know, obviously it'd be nice if the rates were still sky high and I was in the position to do what I'm, I'm planning on doing here. It's not, I'm not overly worried about it. Obviously a little concerned, but I'm sure we'll be just fine. And uh, then when things do start to improve, I should be in a very, very nice position to take advantage of that. Absolutely. I'm not worried about you at all. I don't have a doubt you're going to make this work. I So, <laughs> you know, and I've said that for years. The, comp- the bar's pretty low in this industry, really. There's not a lot of competition out there on the small side of things. And it's... I'm not going to say it's easy. You have to work at it. You have to do things right, but it's certainly not rocket science. No, no, you're right. And you know, it, it's, it's the transportation part of it. That that's part of what I'm doing, but then it's also the, the testing and consulting yeah. part of it, which yeah. is at this point, it is a bigger part of my business than it all kind of works together. And, uh, I, you know, I'm, 
very much looking forward to this, getting out on my own and, and doing some things where I've, I've really, really wanted to push the, the envelope on some things in regards to efficiency that, you know, for, for one reason or another, we, we couldn't make work in a fleet situation or right. they didn't want to go down that path. And, and uh, you know, getting all the players together that were interested in this and, you know, testing commercial vehicles is not cheap. No, it's extremely it's expensive. Yeah. And um, so having some good partners involved that way is, is nice as well. So um, the time is right. And uh, just just looking forward to getting out and doing it. Excellent. You know, one of the things I've dealt with for years, you talk about getting all the partners together and any good project requires that you need more expertise, you need the money. It just, there's no way around it. But one of the things that can make you crazy after a while is trying to put together a group that doesn't have some sort of a conflict. Oh no, we're not oh, working no, with yeah. them because absolutely of the- <laughs> oh, right, God. right, right. No, you're you're exactly right. That can be problematic. I've I've danced that dance a little bit here just recently, so no, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. Yeah, you, that- you bring all these people into a room and they're like, I don't like him. And so <laughs> they're gone. And, no, yeah. we we had a problem with him six years ago. They did this to us, yeah. and I, oh my God, it's all like right. hurting cats or yep, babysitting. Yep. You know three-year-olds i don't know absolutely the one thing that i'm looking forward to maybe getting into a little bit more and and maybe you have some thoughts on this or maybe want to help or participate in this you know generally i'm dealing with oems and component suppliers and vendors and stuff like that um obviously i have taken some phone calls from some individual owner operators and whatnot And, and this is an area where i i think I would like to focus and try to really help this this group out as far as specking trucks and why you spec this way and what to do for fuel efficiency and whatnot. Um, it's just very, very difficult. I mean, I haven't even really formally put the word out, you know, that, okay, here, I'm, I'm going to help owner out. And I've just been overrun Good. guys want Good. me to help them spec trucks and, yeah. and of course of course i can't say no you know I'm like okay i'll help you let's go do this and pretty soon i've got, I've got 50 people waiting in line going what the hell you know, know. And so i've yeah. got a I've got to I've got to manage all that and get that all straightened around and and uh but the first things first i've got to knock down my my oem you know sponsors yep. or partners and and whatnot and then once i get that square uh, I think I'm going to start to focus on on the owner operator, the the one maybe two truck guy that you know wants to uh, focus on efficiency and and uh, uh, maybe I can do some good with them. You know, I love that idea, and absolutely, we'll we'll be a part of it any way we can help. You know, from my point of view, that's kind of what I've been doing forever. You know, in in different ways, whether it's seminars or courses or just direct consulting, which I don't do much of anymore. We've got a lot of experience in that. Really, where we are now, and this works perfectly. You know, I got to the point where I was just. I don't want to say I was doing too much because it's what I wanted to be doing, but I was doing too much to be on top of every area all the time. You know, there was a time when you could ask me any tax question you wanted and I was confident I had the right answer. I'm not anymore. I don't do enough Mm -hmm. tax returns to stay on top of and they keep changing. Taxes change constantly. So I have a good 
base knowledge in it. I know about 90% of the questions I take, I'm answering fine. The other 10%, I have to say, you know what? I'm just not sure about that anymore. I'm going to have to go look it up. There was a time when there wasn't a platform or an engine on the market. I couldn't say, look, here's probably the best way to spec this. Here's how to run it. I'm, I'm falling behind in that because all these engines are so proprietary, such new technology. We're doing things way differently than we used to. And you still have to stay up with the older stuff as well and what's going on with that. So, you know, in all of the areas that we cover, then there's money and health. And I love doing that. But at some point I realized, wait mm-hmm. a minute. And I used to say, look, I like doing this by myself. I don't like having guests. I'm not good doing interviews. I'd just rather do this on my own. But at some point, I realized, wait mm-hmm. a minute, you you just can't stay on top of all of this stuff. It, it's just too much. You can, you know, our show's going to cover it, but I need help. And that's really when, you know, we looked at starting our own network. That was kind of the model was, wait a minute, let's bring in more people in each one of those areas. You know, we have Mark Sullivan on the website that does the the IRS stuff for us and the tax stuff. And he's excellent because that's what he does every day. Mm-hmm. You know, you're really focused on the specking and efficiency and drive lines. You're doing it every day. You're going to be doing even more of it. That's awesome. We have Pittsburgh Power. We have shops that stay up on top of that stuff. We have Mike Beckett on alignments. It, it was really time that, you know, I can kind of manage all this and be a part of it. And I've got enough knowledge to talk, you know, intelligently in any area. But if I want to help people the very best way possible, I've got to get other people involved. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, kind of my thought process here of why I decided to, uh, in large part, why I decided to step out now. Um, you know, I feel like I'm on top of my game when it comes to downsped powertrains. Um, I think, I think the international rollout of the S13 just kind of validates that, you know, I, I worked with some people that I'm sure were involved with that, that were at Volvo at one time and now they're over at Traton and, and Volkswagen, which is the, the parent company. And, and, um, you know, a lot of the things that I was having discussions with certain engineers, you know, 10 years ago about the downsped concept, you know, Volvo has rolled it out, uh, internationals following suit with almost the carbon copy, um, uh, powertrain. And I fully expect that we're going to see this out of the other, uh, other manufacturers, the other OEMs as well, because it just makes sense when you do the math on this. And, uh, so it, it was just, I was really happy to see international roll this out. Um, cause they have been beat up for the last few years with, with some of the powertrains they've rolled out and they, they haven't worked all that well. I, I really think that this S13 for them is is really going to be a, a great powertrain. Uh, you look at the the dimensions of the you know displacement, the bore, the stroke, the crankshaft, everything that we talked about and went through that training. You know they're they're pretty spot on with it. Uh, the 14 speed is pretty spot on. Deep reduction, single overdrive. Uh, they've got it right. They even got the three drive modes, just like I've been talking about forever for the driver. So they've done a hell of a nice job with this. Um, and they got some interesting things going on. I don't think there's anything earth shattering like a lot of people seem to think, um, but just some very good engineering, uh, some very good uh, thought process when laying out the, the gearing and the powertrain to it. And 
it's, it's just going to be a good, solid powertrain for him. Yeah, you know, I'm excited about International kind of being back in the game again because I think they've been out of it for quite a while. And I said early on, I was a big international fan. It was all I had for a while. And I liked him. I liked him a lot. And I had a good dealer and I had a good shop right down the street and it worked well for me. And then just international went through a a rough decade plus. I mean, they had a lot of problems, but there's one thing. I don't think a lot of people think about this, but when it comes to this proprietary truck engine driveline everything international's probably done as much or more of that than any other truck manufacturer except maybe like mac you know mac goes way back doing their own thing correct Um, and and now everybody's moving that way and not so much in the class eight market but if you look at seven and down for years international's trucks were proprietary their own engines their own everything and you really don't hear any problems with them they're pretty rock solid. Right. So now right. if they're able to pull that off in the class eight market, and it looks like they can, like you said, this is a really promising platform, even if it's not earth shattering. So what it's, it's virtually identical to what we consider the best platform on the market right now. Uh, yeah. It, it's going to be, you know, right up there with the Volvo and the Detroit. There's, there's no doubt about it. You know, the, the bore, the stroke, everything is right on this, on the basic architecture. And, and, uh, you know, one of the cool things they done, they got rid of the EGR cooler. Yeah. Um, it still has EGR. Uh, I, I'm, I'm still, this is to me could be one of the sticking points or this could be brilliant for them. Um, so now they have this dual or twin E, um, SDR, um, where they're injecting depth upstream and, and downstream and they done away with the EGR cooler. So back when emission engines first came out and we were running a lot of EGR through the engine, the coolers would tend to coke over inside and they develop hot spots and they would crack and you get the pinhole leaks in them that were such a pain in the ass. Yeah. The newer engines that run much less S, uh, much less um, EGR and they burn much, much cleaner because of higher compression ratios, better fuel injection, better piston design. So there's virtually no soot to begin with in the combustion. We don't see the EGR cooler problems anymore with the coking and cracking issues. Um, if we have any issues with emission systems, it seems to be with the SCR. And here they've doubled up on it and got rid of a component that maybe we've worked a bug. So, you know, I don't know for sure yet. We're going to have to wait and see this this play out. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. And, you know, I am a Volvo guy, but I'd really like to see this succeed because I think they've done a hell of a job at laying it out. It's going to offer some good options for people. They're not going to be stuck in the, you know, the same old mold. They're going to be able to break out. And, and uh, this one's going to be a good one. There's no doubt that the basic architecture is right. The gears are right. The steps are right. Everything about this engine is right. Um, so I will be shocked if this thing, for whatever reason, doesn't succeed on the marketplace. I think I think it's going to do very well. Yeah, you know, this this idea of, of eliminating the EGR cooler, I'm sure that means we're bringing less EGR back in and kind of doubling down on the SCR. It, it is a risk, I think, but I think it's a risk in the right direction if they can pull it off. I've said from the beginning, EGR was a disaster. The, the 
the engineer who basically invented it said it's about the worst thing we could ever do to a diesel engine feed it a bunch of dirty air but it was their only option at the time they just couldn't figure out anything else but i've said forever we just need to get all of this emission crap off the engine so then we can build an engine the way we should without all these compromises and let's figure out how to clean this up after the fact yeah i think one of the you know, SCR has been labeled as the evil of everything in diesel engines. And I think that was probably true in the beginning when we, maybe we didn't really understand the impact the piston speed had on the emission system. You know, there were a lot we of things did. that maybe yeah, we, we didn't, didn't quite quite fully understand. Now that we've got these things cleaned up a whole lot, um, I think EGR can actually be our friend. I don't think it's an, it's an evil thing, especially when we don't have to push it with the turbo. And, you know, this is something that I, I think, uh, you know, Volvo understood with the turbo compounded engine that, listen, if we don't have to push it through the engine with the turbocharger itself, but can use the back pressure of the blowdown turbine and then really optimize a simple geometry turbo, then we've got something. And when you look at the leading cutting edge platforms, in my opinion, which is Volvo, uh, Detroit, and now it's going to be Navistar. None of them use a variable geometry turbo that pushes um, EGR through the engine. So yeah. they can optimize that turbocharger to work, and there's no compromises. The engines that are still on variable geometry, which I hated from day one it's because you were hanging precision parts. <laughs> Hanging precision parts in the exhaust streams is never a good idea. No, and no. Uh, um, and they have to push the EGR with that with that turbo as well. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. I think I think there's going to be three rock solid choices out there. Um, my understanding is that you know Packard is going to be coming out with something different soon, and I'm I'm really waiting to see what that's going to be. Um, you know, Cummins decided to hold with what they've got, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. You, you know, so, what, um, you know, interesting. What I see Cummins focusing on again, and I'm just kind of shocked by this. I don't know why they're so tied to this, and it's never really worked for them. Cummins is back to pushing their natural gas options. Well, here's my understanding, and of course, I hear all this stuff secondhand. People talking it events and stuff, but my understanding is that Cummins wants to be fuel agnostic. They want to be able to use anything. So my understanding is you'll be able to go in and buy an X-15 that would run on diesel fuel, it would run on gasoline, it would run on propane, natural gas, or hydrogen. And you pick it. Now, it's not going to be able to switch from one to the other in daily use, but you pick whatever one you want that engine to run on, and it's basically the same engine is going to be able to burn any of those options. You know, I, I think that's a I, huge mistake. It's a different mistake. way of looking at things. I think it's a huge <laughs> I, mistake. I, I can't disagree with you, but, you know. You know, look, if we're planning for the zombie apocalypse and, you know, but even then, this isn't a vehicle that you can just say, like, I remember I almost bought a, um, uh, a four-wheeler once. Who made that thing? Um, I forget who made it now, but it would, it would run on multiple fuels it, it, it just yeah. every day, whatever. It, okay, great. That's kind of a cool option. If I live out in this remote farm and, you know, sometimes I have kerosene and sometimes I have gas and sometimes I have diesel or, and I want some options, but for the right. most part, we're diesel. 
I, why do I want to even mess with right. all that other crap? And you have to know, these OEMs are having a hard enough time building engines that meet emissions and perform well in the real world. We've been struggling with that for almost 20 years now, and we're finally getting past it. And you think you're going to build an engine that can run on all these different fuels and you're going to solve all of the problems? I think it's a horrible no, idea. I, <laughs> I don't disagree. It's kind of the, the jack of all trades oh, that really does nothing well right. kind of a thing. I, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess we'll wait and see. I, it scares the hell out of me. Yeah. I, when I look at that, I'm like, wow, really? But, well, uh, you know, maybe they maybe they know something, obviously, that, that, that we don't. And I, who knows? We'll see what happens. But uh, a lot of interesting stuff, nonetheless, coming down the pike from all the manufacturers, really. Absolutely. We're going to have tons to talk about on, on this segment. Um, you know, Cummins, I think, does know a lot, it, which is surprising that they're moving forward. We go back to... 2014 or 15, I think it was, I called it the year of natural gas. That's all anybody was talking about. That was going to be, you know, the future of trucking. And Cummins was the leader. And I remember reading a report where the maintenance cost on a vehicle running natural gas doubled over the cost of diesel. Uh, they, there were some struggles there. There's no doubt. And I, I still don't think they're on uh, parity. I don't know that for sure because I haven't followed it really close and heard a lot, but, uh, there, there's still some issues there. I, I, you know, I kind of like the idea of the renewable diesel fuel going into a very clean diesel engine, sort of the dimethyl ester approach that Volvo wanted to push a while back and nobody would buy into. It's starting to, starting to get some play now. I've seen more and more talk about, renewable diesel fuels and uh you know when they look at the overall environmental impact with renewable diesel i'm seeing studies that suggest it's less than electric or maybe even what hydrogen would be well that's interesting see if we head down that road you know i'm going to shift gears completely here for a second because uh i've had this story on my desktop for about two weeks now and i've mentioned it a couple times and i'm really interested in it because this was my world for a long time um the the fedex deal going on right now kind of interesting have you heard any of the Mm -hmm. opens where i touched on this yes 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 i've read a little bit about it as well yeah so i'm pretty familiar with this and you know in the fedex ground world they they have been 100 percent independent contractor from day one that was rps originally Mm -hmm. started the mid 80s i was one of the early contractors in rps in ohio stuck with them for a long time Mm -hmm. watched all the changes uh and there was a time where you were limited on how many trucks you could have There was a time where they just wouldn't let you build a fleet of bigger than five trucks. And that was pretty common in the line haul world to have multiple trucks, class eight semis pulling the doubles from point to point. The van guys, those guys have always been independent contractors from day one. And a lot of people didn't even realize that. Um, That to me, when I got started doing taxes and accounting for other people, that was my biggest group because there were so many of them. And I was, Mm -hmm. I was contracted to FedEx. They let me go out to all the terminals I wanted and I'd go out 
you know, on a weekday and I'd show up at the terminal at about four o'clock with, you know, six large pizzas and wait for those guys to all come back in and I'd feed sure. them and, and I'd get their tax work. So I knew that business inside and out. I had probably a hundred of those guys I was doing. And honestly, mm-hmm. it's, you're kind of buying a job in, in those kind of situations. You could make a decent living if you really worked your ass off and you got in early and you had a good route, if you got in later mm-hmm. and you had the farther routes where you did a lot of driving, but you didn't do nearly as many deliveries, you know, some of the guys that had when malls used to be big, some of the guys that had them all, they'd, mm-hmm. they'd be in the mall all day. Mm-hmm. They, they'd park their truck mm-hmm. in the mall and, and move it maybe a couple times and, and they could be there almost all day. Their expenses were almost nothing. Mm-hmm. And that system paid more for that. On the other hand, you had a guy that had mm-hmm. to drive 20 minutes before he got to his first stop and he had 10 minutes between every stop. That guy was getting killed. He just wasn't making any money. Mm-hmm. And they struggled. And I used to think there's no way you could build a business on this model with multiple trucks. There's just not enough margin mm-hmm. there. But people managed to do it. This particular guy uh, who's been in the news so much, the article says he has two, let me get this right, is 275 trucks in 10 states. Holy shit. And 225 drivers. And my first thought was, well, there's a real problem with those numbers. What the hell is he doing with the other 50 trucks? Right. Holy cow. <laughs> He's 50 drivers wow. short? How is he? I don't even see how he built this wow. business in the first place. And I can't imagine how much work this is keeping up with drivers in 200 plus vans across 10 states. Holy cow. Yeah, I'm with you. So I'm impressed by what the guy's Uh, built. Um, Well, now, though, he and that he went on, and I think this was a great idea. I almost did this at one point. If I would have stayed at FedEx, I'm pretty sure I would have done this. He started a trade association for contractors. Great idea. You know, kind of like OIDA, Mm -hmm. you know, a trade association. You pay me a a fee every year and here's all the benefits we'll provide you. And and what a better guy to do it. He knows that system inside and out. So he's done an amazing job. But now he's going down this path where he started talking about what would really amount to collective bargaining. He he. Mm had this you know he had a big event 3,000 contractors just recently invited the CEO of FedEx to come and speak they basically ignored him uh, and they then they basically mm-hmm. came out and said we will not bargain with third parties we'll we'll negotiate individual contracts and they do as a contractor you can go mm-hmm. directly to them and, and negotiate a new contract different from everybody else's they've always done that but they made it very clear we're not going to negotiate with the third party over this. And I think it's smart. If they go down that path, it's going to become a disaster. Um, yeah, right. I agree. Now this guy came out just recently and said, look, if they're not going to negotiate with me, I might just shut the whole thing down. What? <laughs> really? What are you going to do? <laughs> Unless he's, you know, maybe he's got enough right. money. He could retire now. But I mean, 
holy cow, if you get rid of that business, what are you going to do with it? There's no place else you can go with your 275 trucks. Yeah, Amazon yeah no, I, maybe, I agree. But, maybe, you know. Cool. Yeah, so I was going to say possibly Amazon. Maybe he's ready to retire, wants to go out with a bang, you know. Who knows? Well, and here's the other <laughs> crazy thing about this. Those, if he if he claims he has two hundred and seventy five trucks, two hundred twenty five drivers, the number of routes he owns is probably in there somewhere. He has the right and mm-hmm. ability to sell all those routes if he wants individually together. He can bundle a bunch. I mean, he's got quite an asset there. But what he's claiming, yeah, and and I'm not so sure he's wrong about this. And he, like I said, he he knows these numbers better than anybody else. He's claiming if FedEx doesn't do something soon with inflation, if it keeps going, they are going to lose thirty percent of their van contractors. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It would. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, obviously, I'm not as familiar with the system as you are, but that wouldn't shock me the way the economy looks like it's shaping up here so it, um, it, it could get tough for one these of those wait, wait and see things again you know, yeah he, absolutely. Here's, absolutely here's another thing and I'm, I'm pretty familiar with this because i've worked with other companies i worked with the uh, merchants home delivery for years and they they're those are the guys that if you ordered you know high-end appliances or furniture or it shows up at your door that was Merchant's Home Delivery, yep. even though you never saw that name anywhere. Um, you might see mm-hmm. Bed Bath & Beyond on the truck or whatever. Um, those are all independent contractors. Right. They hired me. I wrote a business manual for them. We had a program where we, we started all their new contractors off, did their accounting, because they had horrendous turnover problems. But here was their model. You had to buy a straight truck, a pretty big straight truck, usually like 26 footers. Um, and, and you had to hire a helper because this was a two man job. So the problem mm-hmm. was, you know, we see this in, in the class eight side. A lot of people end up becoming business owners that technically never had any real plans or ideas to be business owners just because it's easy. Oh, look, here's a lease purchase sign here. Mm -hmm. You're in business. That's a problem. You get a lot of people Mm -hmm. failing in models like that. I'm okay with it, actually. I'd I'd rather see everybody try to get into business, make it nice and easy, and then let people fail as they will, and we'll all get better. Uh, But this is... Mm This was how that model works. So they would just run an ad in the, the classifieds. Driver wanted. And, you know, they'd say something like $75,000 a year potential or whatever. They'd get a bunch of calls from people who were just looking for a job. That's it. But now all of a sudden they have to buy this truck. They have to go hire another employee and they are lost. (laughs) And it was a disaster. That's kind of what happens on the FedEx side in the vans. They just run ads looking for people who are looking for a job. And then they bring them in and tell them they have to buy this van. And they, they know nothing about being in business. They had no plans to be in business. And the next thing they know, they're working 16 hours a day just to get their route done. And they have no time left to run a business. That, that's problematic. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're, put, you're putting a guy that 
probably doesn't know a whole lot about anything anyway right. in, in right. regards to the transportation. You're going to work them like a dog and then say, oh, and by the way, after you're done with your 16-hour <laughs> shift, here's five hours of, of paperwork for you. and paperwork. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Yep. yeah. So yeah. I, I'm surprised it's lasted this long on the van side because like I said I, I dealt with it and it was a it was a tough business model and I think this guy might be right. I think they might be in for some real problems with their van contractors. Well, the I mean the economic circumstances may force FedEx to do something different. It sounds like they probably should and uh, so this it may get tough for a while, but ultimately it'll probably end up being a good thing. Yeah. You know, this is kind of the gig economy now too. think of all these people that think of, talk about easy to get into business. You don't even have to come down and do an interview and, you know, buy a van and all, all you have to do is download this app. And in about 30 seconds, you are now in business, but these people don't understand that. Right. Right. No, that's, that's exactly right. It's, uh, Almost too easy at times. Uh, yeah, I've been the one that's been saying forever, make it really, really easy to get into business. There should be no barriers. Let everybody get in. Then, the you know, we'll sort them all out. Well, here we are. I think we're there now. It's <laughs> yeah, really easy to get into close, business. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. But sometimes, you know, there's, there's, there's two sides to that. You know, when you have that low barrier, that low threshold to get in, it can create um, problems with the marketplace at times, you know, as far as rates go and stuff. We, we see it when the economy starts to swing, yep. you know, when, when things are down for a while and, and then they're getting good and everybody that's got two dimes to rub together that can get financed goes out and buys a truck. And then, you know, what happens to rates and we have all this excess capacity, it, it creates some issues that, uh, it does. you know, uh, the established business just has to work through, but, um, you know, I think those cycles are good. It, it, it uh, survival of the fittest type of thing. And uh, I think it's a good thing. I, I do too. And a lot of people will fail. And that's why people think it's a bad thing. Oh, we can't have all those people failing. Sure we can. It's not the end of the world. They'll go get a job. They'll be fine. You're, you're not dying. You yeah. Know, it, 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 no. I, and, it, it, I mean, people learn from, from exactly. uh, at least you hope they learn right. from, from failing. And, and this is how you get better. I, I, you know it from sports. We were both heavily involved in sports in high school. Did anybody come out their freshman year and were they state champions at anything? It didn't happen. You got your ass kicked multiple <laughs> times, and, and then you started to learn, you know, okay, this is what I need to do. And then, you know, four years later, your senior year, you're ready to take on the world. But uh, same so, thing in business. I mean, you step into this, and you're going to get kicked around a little bit. At least most people are. Um you know, you're not coming into it independently wealthy. And if you are, the, you know, it's uh, probably not an ideal situation to get into buying a truck if, if you're independently wealthy to begin with. So, uh, yeah, it'll be inter- <laughs> interesting stuff. Yeah. All right. Hey, let's uh, let's grab some phone calls. You and I could talk all day, but uh, we've got some phone calls. So we'll uh, get some other people involved in the conversation here. Matt, welcome. Oh, Good morning, gentlemen. Oh, go ahead. What's on your mind today? Well, just a couple of quick little topics, um, mostly political. But uh, yesterday, talking about autonomous trucks and highway safety and all that, I was thinking about this just a couple of weeks ago and did some uh, ran some numbers. 
rates for last year was 117 per day. Wow. During <laughs> World War II, we were losing, for the whole average combat day, 220 per day. No way. It's almost as dangerous to drive down the highway today <laughs> as it was to be a soldier in World War II. <laughs> oh, that's bad. That's awful. So, yeah, you know, autonomous and all the safety devices that are actually making our roads more safe every year. It's not coming fast enough. Well, you know, some some of the stuff on, on uh, a lot of the guys like to bitch about the safety devices and they'll say, oh, look, the accident rates are up. None of that stuff done any good. The one thing that I think a lot of people miss, they're not comparing it to how many miles traveled versus like in the 1970s. You know, we're running way more miles with way more traffic. So just to look at the total accident rate that a lot of guys like to look at and go, see, the ELD made it more dangerous and all the safety stuff didn't do anything. That's nonsense. Well, um, you got to look at the total miles run and the amount of traffic on the road. And it, there's, a, there's a big disconnect there between where we were and where we are. So You know, there's another good example yeah, of yeah. what, what you're talking about there that I've used forever. Because I'll go back to my FedEx days uh if somebody called me and you know disagreed with me which used to happen a lot more often it was kind of fun um if if they got frustrated they'd throw in the oh well you're you've been leased that fedex those people just crash all the time they're just in the ditch they don't know how to drive hold on a second stop right there because all these companies that you think have horrible safety records because you see their doubles in the ditch in the winter time all the time yeah it's pretty common we do see a lot of doubles in the ditch they're harder to drive in the winter time but go look at this the real statistics accidents per miles traveled for those fleets they are the safest fleets on the road by far it was it was fedex ups roadway all the big companies that pulled doubles had the best safety records by far but we do tend to see them all the time in the ditches they have so many damn trucks they run so many miles their records were like stellar compared to the truckload carriers yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree with that. You gotta, you gotta look at that number of miles run because just to put a, a crash number out there and then point but that the, as some sort of proof of something is just, just ridiculous. Yeah. But if you dig deeper and that yeah. may have, you will find that lately our crashes per mile traveled is getting worse. And it's kind of funny because our safety devices are getting better, but the other offset is the distractions. We have drivers making YouTube videos going down the road these days. It, it, it's not even that uncommon. Not watching YouTube videos, making YouTube videos. That There's so many distractions in the cab right now. That's the thing that scares me. I want to see more autonomous technology to protect us from the idiots making videos while they're driving. Yeah, yeah I don't disagree that, that the stuff can be used, um, the, the autonomous technology, a little bit better than what it's being used right now. That's for sure. Um, you know, some of the, 
some of the radar systems and stuff that we have on some of our newer trucks, they leave a little bit to be desired. And it just always kind of makes me wonder they've got trucks driving themselves and they really don't have this stuff worked out a hundred percent yet. And there's a driver behind the wheel. And that's kind of scary to me. Um, you would think that they would have, you know, just the very simple radar systems we have on the trucks today, a hundred percent foolproof. And they are not, they, they make mistakes. You know, they, they see certain things and they'll want to hit the brakes out of the blue and, and they do some goofy stuff and, you know, then they're saying, Oh, well, we can make a truck drive itself. And I'm thinking, "Eh, maybe, (laughs) maybe not. I I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) We're, We're there's the technology leaves a lot to be desired. But the one way I try to get people to look at this, and that's why Matt brought this up today, we freak out right now when autonomous technology kills somebody. When Tesla has mm-hmm. a, an accident for whatever reason, however it happens, and they die, and they, we find out that they had autopilot engaged, there's huge investigations, and there should be. We should figure out what went wrong and try to fix it. But my point is, and I'm going to give you an outrageous example but I think it points out how we should look at this. Let's say that we just decided right now, look, there's just not enough people anymore. We're just gonna put autonomous trucks on the market. We'll put them out on the road. We know they're not ready yet. They're going to crash. They're going to kill people, but we're going to do it. And let's say we did it and they killed 60 people a day. We would freak Mm -hmm. out and we would shut that program down in an instant. But yet we're okay with human beings killing double that number every day. We don't even blink. Why why wouldn't we put a technology out on the road that cut deaths by half? But we wouldn't. You know what else? It's really weird about the whole autonomous, you know, drone type thing. And, I'm not sure why this is. So we see it on the road, just like you said, if, if a Tesla crashes into something and somebody gets killed, Oh my God, that is like the worst thing. This machine killed a person and whatnot. But then you look about, you know, what's going on over in in Ukraine and we watch drones kill all these people and we're giggling about, Oh, look at the drone just killed this bunch of Russians hiding behind this thing. So on one hand it's funny and the other hand we're mad. So I I, I don't know. know. (laughs) Figured out, but uh, I hear what you're saying. It's, uh, it's, it's problematic because, I, I don't know. There's just something unnatural about it to a lot of people that uh, yeah. here are these trucks and they, they get thinking about their kids, you know, and, and man, if that autonomous truck runs it over, how, how horrible, but yet it happens all the time um, with a human behind a wheel. Correct. And we, we really That's, don't think all that much about it. So yeah, that yeah. disconnect is a little odd. Yep. Yeah. What else you got, Matt? All right, so not to make this political or change the subject of the show. But, no, that's uh, what Fridays Kevin, are all about. You want to comment? You want to comment on the student loan thing? Oh, I yeah. definitely oh. have opinions about it, but mine are way different than what everybody else is talking about. All right. So the first argument, you know, that all of a sudden this debt got transferred to the taxpayer. Well, that happened when they started the student loan. Oh, program. absolutely. Yeah. It is always, we the taxpayers have always been the co-signers. They're guaranteed loans. So the banks just keep making the loans with no worry. My question to Democrats or anybody that supported this is how happy are they that we the taxpayers just handed 300 
billion dollars to the bankers. Yeah, we did. That's what just happened. I know. I know. It, it's it's yes. It, it was owed by some people, but we just gave a huge bonus, like two thousand nine. You're going to see all these bank industries, banks that have these big bonuses now, and you know the golden parachute we had back then. <laughs> just, just look what their balance sheet just did right. as this gets run through. You know, I. Sometimes I wish I could completely disconnect from politics, and if I didn't do what I do every day, I would completely disconnect from politics because they make me crazy anymore. But nothing, in all the years I've been following politics, and I don't know why, but nothing makes me crazier than this. This one, I feel like it's going to push me right over the edge. I can't think of something we could do that's more wrong than what they're doing right now. You know, I, I agree with that. And the, the one thing was politics. And I, I'd done this, I don't know, maybe maybe five, six years ago. I just decided, you know what? They're all crooks. <laughs> and until we get term limits on everybody up there, I'm not, I don't, I'm not paying attention to this shit. If we go broke, we go broke. I'm not wasting my time worrying about it. Cause this stuff right here, if I sat and thought about this, I would have no time. It would just consume me. I, I would get, I would get pissed about it and it would just absolutely consume me. I couldn't let it go. So I just, I don't care if you're Democrats, Republicans, they're all crooked to me one way or another. Um, and if, if they truly were, to me, above board on either side, they would say, okay, let's do this term limit thing so we can't get these entrenched people like we have in there now that are just absolutely corrupt. And, and I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican, those entrenched politicians that have been up there for 30, 40 years, they're crooks. They just they, are. They are. And we and get shit like this. Two, I think if we could pass two laws, two we could revolutionize this country and probably the world. And I don't think the world would ever see an economy like we'd be able to build in this country if we did two things, term limits and the fair tax. I, I, I agree. I would just be thrilled to death to start with term limits. It would be so easy to do. It's not complicated. Everybody understands it. And yeah. it's a threat to the entrenched politicians who are, who are really, they're, they're just, you know, royalty like they used to be back in the exactly. medieval times. You know, right. they're the kings, the kings and the queens that are overseeing the peasants. And, you know, we're out here busting our ass to make a dime. And they're up there just, just, uh, it just, it makes you yeah. want to vomit. I, I just, uh. They're up there giving we need it, term limits and yeah, they're up there giving all that money to yeah, their cronies. Yeah. Crony capitalism is what yeah, we've yeah. created, and it's yeah. awful. And then people yeah. want to say, "Look, yeah, capitalism it, failed." No, it didn't. Capitalism did not fail. This isn't no. capitalism anymore. It hasn't been for a long time. Uh, now you got a bunch of corrupt people up there running the show, and and they, I mean, they actually are running the show. Yeah. Even when we think we're doing well out here, imagine how much better we could be doing. Yeah. Well, um, the, the, the reason yeah, it, I it, it, I want to throw the fair tax in, I love the fair tax for a lot of reasons: for the economy, for us, the taxpayers. The IRS goes away. Hell, pass the fair tax. We we don't need to hire eighty-seven thousand more. We can get rid of the eighty thousand we already have. The number of audits yeah, exactly. with the fair tax would go to nothing because you only have to audit a much, much smaller group. You only have to audit businesses now, not businesses and individuals. 
imagine the cost just on that 160,000 IRS agents, just the yeah. payroll and the benefits yeah. and all and, the and, and buildings people, and equipment you, you and computers even, and phones yeah. and all that other stuff an employee oh. has to have. It's, it's horrible. It's just absolute, and it's so, completely unnecessary. And here's the other part. M- most of the power our politicians have today is because of the tax code. And it's so complicated, they can right. say whatever the yes. hell they want, and nobody can prove them wrong. They're making this claim that all this spending they just did is only going to affect people who make over 400000 Bullshit. That is an outright lie. What? I've got a great idea. Let's hire 20,000 analysts to analyze it. You know what I mean? That's about what they would do. And they'll have to pay for all them. And geez, one thing after another, but uh, yeah, I'm with you though. It's it's a, it's, it's payback to, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. and, And here we go. Let's hand a bunch of money to a bunch of bankers that really don't need it in the first place. I'm all for turning a profit and making as much money as you can. But when you're making it, this way, exactly. um, I don't know. Yeah, no, I yeah. See, me. see what you've done, Matt. You've got us all one, riled up. You just, yeah. just like you just, <laughs> you, just <laughs> you just walked up and kicked the hornet's nest. <laughs> well, yeah, and by all means, I completely hate all you know either side. I'm not defending Republicans in anything. Um, you know, I'm just picking on the Democrats because they're the ones that pass this all on their own. But if right, either side right. really wanted to solve just the student loan issue, we uh, agree that it's a problem. So what are we doing to either end or change the program? I was That's what I was Nothing. just going to bring up. Right now they're, they're saying, look, we'll pay off the, your $10,000 loan, and they're writing another loan at the same time. Yep, yep. right out the back door. <sighs> yep. So it, it did nothing. Right. Have, have no interest in fixing it because they want... They want to keep us broke because you're easy to control at that point when you're broke. But, uh, yeah, you really can't solve any problems till we solve the the term limit thing. You you really, truly can't because somebody's always going to find a way to manipulate a situation to benefit them. And then they're going to want to stay in power to keep milking it. And it just, you know, it's just a problem. And until we get term limits on everybody across the board in government, we're going to continue to have these problems. You know, I'm going to throw out another controversial idea. And I, I, I've thought this through, and I'm not sure what would happen. It's one of those things that I think would be a wild experiment if you ever tried it. But if you think about the way our government was set up, it was supposed to be governed by us, the everyday people. We were supposed to go to Washington if you wanted to be a politician. You were supposed to go to Washington, serve a term or two or whatever, and then go back to your job. And we'd get new people in. That way we had regular people running the government, not career politicians. But we never put term limits in, except on the president and a couple other. And and we should have. If we would have done that in the beginning, I think we'd be in a lot better position now. And now how do you get that done when the people who have to write the laws on term limits don't want term limits? Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, that tells I, you all you need to know right there. You know, yeah, they should be more than willing to step up and say, yeah, let's do term limits. It makes sense. And not but, one of them will no, do it. But what, what if we did this? This is another crazy thing. So, we get people who end up in Congress like AOC who 
she went from minimum wage jobs to she'll be a millionaire quickly if she isn't already. Just because of the money, you the pay. Why did she, why did she get the same pay as somebody who got elected and has 45 years of solid business experience or, you know, has more political experience? Even they came up through the ranks. They were maybe they were a local, you know, congressman in their state or even their city. And they've got experience. Why do we pay across the board the same rate? That, that makes no sense. Nobody else yeah. does that. Except yeah. maybe the trucking industry, and we know that's a problem too. But what if we did this? Well, that works. What if we did this? You're going to have term limits. They're going to be fairly short. You know, you're not going to be in there for a decade or more. You're going to go serve your time in government. And you're going to go back home. Why don't we pay you eighty percent of what you make in the real world, or a hundred percent? Obviously, the free market thinks you're worth that much money. Right, right. Yeah, the, the allure to be a, a politician should not be the money that you're going to make once you get there. You should be and, going there because, you know, it's the right thing to do. You want to help the country. You, you think you can manage things. Now, I'm not saying that they should be broke, but I, I think you're right. You know, if if you're making X amount in the real world, when you go to Washington, maybe that's how they ought to set up that pay structure. So, or, or on the so other hand, we just don't have people... If I if I am so good that the free market's been paying me four hundred thousand dollars a year, why would I want to go do this and take that huge pay cut? I wouldn't, so I'm not going to. <laughs> so we lose the best people. Right. Well, maybe. Uh, what? Well, no, there are some that get to a point. Well, say, look, right I, I've, I've got enough money. I can I can go work in the government for three or four years at a lower pay, and it's not going to bother me. But there are some that won't. There's some that. Why would I go right. do this? Why would I go stick my neck out? So what? You know, look at the heat you take as a politician. I mean, your your whole personal life is torn wide open. Why would I go do that and take a huge pay cut? Hmm. Yeah. There's no doubt. One last point, and I'll let you move along. The cost of college keeps going up because of these loans. Yeah. And right now, everybody is complaining about the profit margins of oil companies, which right now they're up. We know that. But their average is 4.7% for oil companies. Take a guess at what the average profit margin of a college is. I, I don't even want to try because I don't know that number, but there is a number that I do know a lot of. Uh, it's college endowments. It, endowments, nothing more. That, I mean, we put this weird word on it, so it sounds like it's something special. Uh, it's nothing more than that's all the money they've been able to save because of all of their profit. And right now, I'm pretty sure Harvard is sitting on an endowment of $60 billion. That's yep. their savings account. So wow. average, this is a publicly traded, you know, so that's how they come up with this number, public information. 19.7% profit margin. Holy cow. They're putting away $3.2 well, billion dollars per year. Well, you know why? 
It's easy. They don't even have to. Well, one, they can keep raising their prices because of the student loans and people will have money to go to college no matter how expensive they make it. But here's another big reason. They don't pay any taxes. Yep. They're a for-profit company and they don't pay taxes. We, we allow churches not to pay taxes because they're not supposed to be for-profit, but universities are clearly for-profit. Look at how much money they make. Look at how much they pay their football coaches. My God, we have football coaches that make a million dollars a year in college. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, why don't they have to pay tax? Uh, you better better take somebody else that I'm getting us back to trucking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, I throw all that out there. <laughs> yeah, you 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 drove us right into the ditch, Matt. Let's uh, let's see what uh, Abe in Alberta wants to talk about. Abe, welcome. Hey, good morning, Kevin and Joel. Good morning. Hi. What's on your mind Hi. today? I got some uh, questions there about Joel, from Joel. I want to talk about the Volvos here a little bit. All right. I am looking to look. I'm looking to get a second truck. I've I've always had uh, classics. I'm in a W9, old 98 W900, and it's a good truck. But I'm looking for a second truck, and you guys got me convinced to look for something more efficient than these classics. So I've been All right. I've been looking I've been looking for uh, what I c- can find uh, looking at a 14 2014 Volvo but I got uh, 325s uh, I shift so I guess the final drive on that uh, transmission is 0.78 if I'm correct Mhm uh, I'm just that wondering what uh, something like that would View for specs. Is that something that's going to do better than what I'm doing with the Classic? Probably not with a 325. That rear axle ratio um, does absolutely nothing to leverage the benefits of the design of that engine. So you've got an engine that is specifically designed to be downsped, run at lower RPMs. It makes horsepower at lower RPM, and you're putting a a rear axle ratio that would be a little more comfortable with a with a Cummins or something that makes horsepower at higher RPM, and you, quite frankly, you probably won't be happy with it. Um, okay. It's going to have the VGT turbo. Um, are you pulling a, a lot of weight uh, in your duty cycle? I do. I run uh, well. I run uh, pull a flatbed, uh, the quad axle trailer, so I'm up to like. 97, 98,000 pounds uh, running uh, northwestern, uh, our western Canada and the northwestern states. So. Yeah, so when, before Volvo came out with, uh, with the turbo compound and really started pushing the 13 and 14 speed um, with their VGT, uh, D13 VGT, which the 2014 is, um, you're going to be looking for something in that 279 to 308 ratio for that, that weight range. Um, you know, 325, 336, as you start to get really leaning towards the traditional ratios, you're simply overshooting the power curve of that engine. Um, you know, without 
being able to do the math right in front of me, I would suspect if you were to keep the speed on that 325 down around 55 mile an hour everywhere you went, it would probably do just fine for you. Um, if you want to run closer to 65, those gears will start to become problematic because the second it downshifts, um, it's going to blow you right off the torque curve. You know, it, it's not going to be the most responsive engine in the world with that, that type of gearing. Uh, very common to see that happen, and it's unfortunate. Um, this, those trucks were really spec before folks understood what the real advantages that Volvo power were. That's kind of what I figured, but I've been doing a lot of searching, and it seems like mostly that's kind of what I'm finding. So, yeah. Um, You're going to see a lot of that in Canada. Yeah, I've noticed that. It's worse up here. Than, yeah. Yep. Um, so uh, the TCs, uh, where do they start? Or like, It seems like I don't find much, but I also when I look online, I wonder if a lot of the D13s, they just list them as D13s, but they don't... Uh, specify if it's a TC or not, I, get, I think. Well, I think the Gen 1 came out middle of 18, I believe, is when the, okay. the Gen 1 came out. Um, and, you know, they, they didn't sell a whole lot of them right off the, the bat. People were nervous. They didn't didn't understand it because the, the engineers knew they had to run some gear ratios that people, and especially up in Canada, they just were not going to be accustomed to. Um, and they really weren't pushing the, the 12 and the 13 speed or the 13 and 14 speed to go with it. It was still all 12 speed. So with the Gen 1, you're looking at a 247 with a 12 speed is about as aggressively downsped as you can get. And in your particular operation, it, it, that might be an all right spec with the weight that, that you're running. Um, I don't think you're going to get down to the 226, 216 that we're running just because the running gear that goes with that will not, um, they won't allow it to go over 80,000 pounds for the axles and the drive shaft and stuff that accompanies that 216 for axle ratio. So the 247 with a TC would probably be a good fit for you. Um, getting the parameters correct for your application will be another thing that's really important. And, you know, remember this is a gen one, nobody had a lot of experience with TC. They were thinking about parameters just like they did VGT. Lots of dealers put the same types of parameters in those trucks and they were a little lackluster. Um, that can be dealt with though. Um, if, you know, if that's something that you find one and you pull the trigger on it and, you need help with parameters if you're out on social media or even call the show back up here i can i can get you squared away on the parameters to make the truck perform the way that you would expect it to perform okay so yeah because i've been searching but it seems like very hard to find any of those trucks and so you said the the first gen what's the, the second gen is that uh a much that's what just Oh, yeah. The, the big improvement um, from Gen 1 to Gen 2. So we got a higher compression ratio. We've got a different gear ratio in the blowdown turbine. We got a different turbo size. Uh, we got improved fuel injection, improved weight piston. Um, so it's the same horsepower rating, 
but it has a much wider efficiency range. The engine itself does. So the first gen TC, um, you really had to keep it in a fairly narrow operating range to get the expected efficiency out of it. And, you know, some guys would scoff about that. Um, the, the gen two, I mean, it's wide open. It's, it's great from nine fifty all the way out to 1350. You can run it anywhere in there. There is no sweet spot on this engine. It is a range and it's a fairly wide range where it's going to do very well fuel efficiency wise. Sounds like I should spend a little bit more and just upgrade. Uh, honestly, if, 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 if you want to get it right, um, you're, that's probably what you're going to have to do because, uh, you know, there was a lot of confusion and, and people really struggled with the idea of, of putting these aggressive gear ratios. And man, when I first rolled out a truck with a 13 speed and then a 14 speed, oh my God, the flack I caught, oh, that's for a dump truck or a cement mixer. Why would you do that? You know, and it was, it was just crazy. And I caught a bunch of heat. And even from guys that, you know, probably should have known better if they would have stopped and think, but, you know, they just saw it and go, well, that belongs in a cement mixer. Well, And then, you know, you start talking to them and they're like, okay, I get it now. But, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes getting that across to a dealer specking trucks, um, they're afraid to do things that are outside their comfort zone. And uh, so it, it is difficult to find the newer technology that we're talking about on the used truck market every once in a while. I'll see one show up, but not very often. And generally, the people that get them are super happy with them, and they're holding on to them. Joe, you know, to yeah. your, your point so, there about the transmission, people thinking it was, you know, a bad choice. I, honestly, that's what we've been asking for for a couple decades. Give us a transmission we can work with. Yes. It's like the transmission has yeah. always been the compromise. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. Anything so else? Is there any any particular, well, just uh, anything in particular that uh, that would help me identify uh, the trucks with these, how to look for them? Well, you're going to be looking 2019 and newer. Um, 19 and newer. Uh, yeah, that's, that's where you're going to start. And you're going to start looking for rear axle ratios, 264 and more aggressive. So 264, 247 potentially 239, 226. Now, some of these will be direct drive and some of them will be overdrive. Um, and in the past, we always thought of direct drive setup as being the ultimate in regards to efficiency. And I no longer believe that's the case on the newer engines. Um, we can run overdrive and have a great degree of success with it if we're spec properly. So, um, you know, once you kind of identify the ratio range that you're looking in, then you just need to see if it's a direct drive or an overdrive. Um, now, with your limited speed that I'm assuming you're running, you're probably, what, limited to 65? Uh, no, actually, no. I, I don't have – I'm not limited with speed. But around okay. about All 65 right. is the, the area I normally run about. Well, this is, this is the area of confusion we get into. So, you know, you, you really have to be honest with yourself where you're going to run this thing because if 95% of your time is at 65 or below, you're, you can probably get away with a direct drive and a 12-speed because direct drive transmissions have deeper reduction because they run 
um, more aggressive gear ratios. So the 12-speed direct drive may be a good fit in your particular circumstance. Like a 226 direct um, would probably be a, a very good fit for you. Uh, now, if you are running faster than 65, say say 25% of the time, you're going to want something with an overdrive. Um, or you're going to start to have emission system problems because our piston speed is going to start to get out of hand. You're going to be off the torque curve with the pulling power and stuff. So there's, there's a lot of things to consider here. Um, well, I mean, if, if you're, and Kevin, this goes to what we were talking about earlier. Here's a perfect example. I, I, you know, a guy could really sit down with you one-on-one and walk you through everything that you kind of need to understand before you make the decision and pull the trigger on something that's just going to drive you insane after you get it. Um, uh, there's probably more than we can go through on this segment that you really need to know. Here's the crazy thing about this business model. And this is what made me crazy about it for years. When you look at the knowledge you have and the value you bring, the ability to take this platform, spec it better than anybody else has ever done, get better results. That, that's really what matters to me. What are the results? Don't tell me about the science or all your testing or what are the real world results? Mm-hmm. And you're getting those. You're proving it every day. So when we look at it and you go, okay, look, I just took the average new Volvo on the road. Let's just, we're going to make up some numbers. The average new Volvo on the road is getting seven and a half miles to the gallon. Maybe we'll give them eight. Um, you're getting 10 mm-hmm. consistently. That, mm-hmm. that's, that's a real number now. You're mm-hmm. getting it consistently. At today's fuel price, we're talking about what? fifteen to $20,000 a year in savings. A year per yeah, truck. Per you're, truck. You're, so you look you, at it and you go, wait correct. a minute. Wait a minute. I, I'm going to retire in five years. And I should look at all the value I could bring to somebody. Look at all the savings I could create. I should be able to retire in five years. And all I want is just give me 5% of the savings I generate for you. And yet, if you look at the two possibilities, I can either go try to try to market to owner operators and sit down with them and say, I will work with you one on one till we put this truck on the road and it will save you this much a year. And I want this percent. They won't do it. Nobody's going to pay you. No, and if you go to a fleet and say, look at all the money I can save you, it's in the millions of dollars. And yet nobody has ever made this business model work yet here's here's the difference so in the past we always just based everything exactly what you talked about on fuel savings now maintenance concerns are maybe even a bigger issue than fuel savings if you have a truck down for three months and here is where this type of spec is is just godsend to an owner operator it's going to significantly reduce your maintenance costs spec in that truck yes right. and down significantly 30 40 50 percent exactly so now add that in on top of the fuel and i think it's it's, it's a little bit easier to make that case to an owner operator hey you should come see me because if you get this wrong here is what it's going to cost you if you get it right here's what you're going to make and I'm just asking for X, whatever that may be. You know, I, it's uh, the argument's getting easier to make, but it's still 
it's still out there for sure. It's it's insane. It's one of the business models I've looked at that could add so much value to so many other businesses, and yet you can't make it work. It's difficult, yeah. And and this is why I struggle with it. I would love to be able to sit down and help guys like this um, yeah. on a regular yeah. basis, and I think it I think it brings a hell of a lot of value. Kind of being a customer advocate, really, even going to the dealer with them and, exactly. and laying it out sure. and saying, "Hey, here's the spec, and here's why, and then this is what we want to do when this truck is in your shop. Here's the preventative maintenance that's going to be a little bit more aggressive than than what the recommendations are, and here's exactly why, and, and set that." It, that sets the tone to build a strong relationship with that dealer. They're going to sell a truck. They're going to get to do some maintenance on it. And the customer is going to be very happy because his fuel efficiency is going to be off the chart and he's going to have very limited downtime. So it's a win-win all the way around. It's just harder in hell to get people to see that. It is. Hey, I just had a thought, you know, earlier, and I'm glad that you're going to go do this again. Because there, there's, there's a business model here that could really work and could really bring a lot of value to the whole industry. Um, I attempted it once. I couldn't make it work. I look back now, I could see some things that maybe I could have done different or better. Uh, but I'm in a different place now. I, I've, I, I'm really happy doing what I'm doing. I love kind of being all over the board and getting to work on all kinds of different things. I get bored easily. I'm excited you're doing this. And you, you said earlier, you know, there's got to be some synergy here. One of the things I can think of, um, we need to talk about cutting a deal with you on profit gauges so that you have a way to track mm-hmm. all of this consistently. Because mm-hmm. yeah. that's, a, that's yeah. A, yeah. And, if and, you can, you know, it's hard to help somebody when they don't have numbers. Because how do you prove that what you correct. did helped them? They might say, oh, yeah, it was a little easier to make my pay my bills this month. But without hard numbers, I think that's another reason why this was hard to get to, hard to, to make work, because so many owner-operators still don't know their profit margins. They don't know their numbers. And when you can show them the numbers and say, look, here's how much this saved you. We, we made this change. We spec the truck like this instead of this, and you could show them in their own numbers. Then I think it could be more powerful. Mm-hmm. We just have to figure out how to get more people to just, God, just the basics of tracking your own expenses. Yeah, no, I agree. I 100% agree. I, I, you know, I've been having this discussion internally with my little team that I put together r- right around this, you know, you can't sell this type of idea unless you've got numbers to back everything up and we're out here doing it in the real world. Um, when you're out there doing it in the real world with current technology and you know, you're on the road in, in the daily basis, tracking them numbers, putting it up for everybody to see, getting that transparency level out there is completely transparent as, as possible. And that's what we're working on setting up right now. Um, I, I think you can start to build the case to, to have that business model to really help the, the owner operator or the, even the small fleet guy that, you know, may not really understand this new technology to the degree that they should. Well, and, and the one thing you keep bringing up and it's a really critical point and we have to start thinking more this way. A lot of guys would say, well, you know, he's helping me on fuel mileage and I can just look at my fuel costs and see things are getting better. Well, that's okay. And that's good. But that maintenance piece is a big piece. And it's, it's huge. Yeah. Yes. So we need a full blown P and L 
here's the other thing you have to track. If a guy says, well, look, I know my fuel cost went down. Okay, but do you know how much? Was what we invested in worth it? We've said, you and I and, and other people will go out and spend more money than we know we're going to save just to be able to prove something works. Well, that's okay if that's mm-hmm. what you do. But if you're running a business, you don't want to mm-hmm. go do that. You don't want to be out there investing Absolutely. in things that didn't give you a good return. Well, if you're not tracking every number from the top line to the bottom, you, you'll never know that. No, you're, you're, you're spot on with that. And it takes a very holistic approach today. Um, you just can't focus on, on just one segment of it. For, especially for an owner-operator, you have to be good at everything you do and be very efficient at everything you do. And, and the only it. way that you know and understand, right, if you're not measuring it, uh, you know, you, you don't know where the bar is at that, that you got to get over. So you, yeah. you have to measure it and set goals and, and under, understand your operation. And you're, you're spot on. That, uh, that is a piece of the puzzle that um, needs to be addressed. Uh, yeah. All right. couple things real quick here about the show. I had a caller earlier. I saw it on the board. It was from Terrence, who's a somewhat regular caller. I don't think I've heard from him in a while. But on the board, it said he used to be a contractor at Merchants Home Delivery. That was the company I worked. I have so many stories about that company. Oh, my God. <laughs> One of my best. I'll just I've told it before, but I'll give you the, the Reader's Digest version real quick because you're in the middle of this right now. You'll appreciate this. This is when I was trying to work with fleets. Early in my career, I saw all that potential. Oh, my God, look at how much money I could save these guys. So Merchants Home Delivery actually approached me, um, which was, you know, that made everything a whole lot easier. It wasn't like I was out there beating on doors trying to find them. They found me. They paid me a pretty nice amount to write a business manual for their contractors. That was the beginning. And then they said, well, could you put together a program to help our guys? And I said, yeah, here's what I'll do. When you hire somebody, they spend a day with me and it's going to be on the phone or whatever. And I'll, I'll get them because these guys know nothing about business. I'm going to give them the crash course in business. We put together an accounting program for them that the fleet paid for, for the first six months for their accounting. This was a killer deal for me. This was my big break. You Mm -hmm. know, this was my first big account. I worked on this account for a year and they had two offices, Oxnard and um, one of the really rich Western suburbs up in Chicago. And I always freak Naperville. Um, They were in Naperville and Oxnard. I probably was Mm -hmm. on a plane every month that year going to one or the other to learn more about their operation, to work with their managers, to put this program together. And it had been about a year. And all of this is out of my own pocket, the flights, all that stuff. I'm trying to build this program for them. Finally, we're at, we're, this is the last meeting. We're going to roll out the program. Everything's done. The only reason we're even having this meeting is I have everybody in the room from the CEO of this company, this is a big company, all the way down through their their top level managers across the country. They're all in this meeting. So everybody knows how we're rolling this out. They did a great job. They brought in all the right people. I'm so excited. This is finally coming together. And when this meeting is over, every new contractor they hire run gets through my program paid by the company. I am like, my, this is my big break. 
You know, we're in <laughs> the meeting. I'm, I'm giving the presentation. Mm-hmm. It's about an hour before lunch. Things are going great. And I look at the, I'm like kind of paying attention to the CEO, obviously, you know, I'm watching him. Am I, am I, you know, getting through sure. to him and he's involved, he's asking questions. And all of a sudden I notice he keeps looking at his pager of all things. Remember those? Um, this is, oh, yeah. so tells you how long ago <laughs> this was. He keeps looking at his pager <laughs> and he gets up and he leaves the room. And I thought, eh, you know, he's the CEO. He's got a lot going on. Except the next thing I know, I see three or four more people looking at their pagers and they get up and leave the room. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute, guys, what's going on here? So finally, (laughs) somebody sticks their head back in the room and says, hey, you should probably just go to lunch right now. I'm like, all right. So I say, go to to lunch. We'll see you at one o'clock. I'm standing in the room, like wondering what I should do. And the CEO walks back in and he says, I hate to tell you this, he said, but our company just got bought and half the people in this room just lost their job. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) The program went away. (laughs) I never heard from them again. Nothing. It was just done. And then, crazy thing, like a a year later, I get a phone call and some guy says, you don't know me, but... And they had changed their name by then because they got bought. He said, I work for so-and-so. And And he said, I just got promoted to this new position to handle all of our contractors. He said, I found this material. There's this whole program with accounting and training and consulting. And it's yours. And I said, yeah, I'm very familiar with it. And he said, what are we doing with it? And I said, absolutely nothing. And I told him the story. And he said, we need to resurrect this. And I said, well, good luck. Because I ain't doing it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I went through something, not to that degree, but very similar when I was, you know, early on working with Volvo, one of the guys that, you know, was fairly high up and he had set me up to do a bunch of things inside with some consulting work. And, and then he ended up going to another company and just everything just died. You know, you're looking at it going, what the hell? You know, it just pulls the rug out from under you. But, you know, that's the, <sighs> the, the risk you run in the, in the bigger corporate settings that, you know, everything seems like it's going great. Everybody's telling you how wonderful things are. And then out of the blue, it's just gone. Yep. You know, nobody knows anything. <laughs> well, no, he's not here no more. And right. <laughs> I have, I don't know what to tell you, but good luck. <laughs> you yeah. know, you're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. So, yeah. Great. Oh, just man. wonderful. <laughs> let's uh let's grab some more phone calls. Paul, welcome. Howdy. Um, you talking about term limits. I agree with that. I'm not sure how many terms they should serve, but I think one of them should probably be in prison for most of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good term. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> on the VNL Volvo, a day cab. You don't happen to know what the bumper to back a cab is, do you? Measurement? Bumper to back a cab is, I think it's, that's a hood. I don't know, 123 sticks in my mind for some reason. You know, it's funny. I'm not sure. That, that seems to be a number yeah. we used to talk about a lot more. We used to know that number more. They used to almost... You'd yeah. see it right when you saw the model. You always kind of knew that. I, you almost never even hear that term yeah. anymore. 
Well, when we got rid of the overall length limit, right. it nobody kind of went cared. away. You know what I mean? Yeah, nobody cared yep. anymore. Yep. Because uh, I don't know if it's since I've just been listening to you or whatever, but seems like I see a whole lot more Volvos now than I ever used to. <laughs> well, you know, you're just looking for them. That's all. <laughs> well, could could be. It's it, it's yeah. called it's called confirmation bias. Yeah, there you go. And and most of them, most of them are either red or white, <laughs> or white or red. Actually, <laughs> white is like the color. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We had this discussion. Exactly. Not a, a lot of. We had this discussion a couple weeks ago. Somebody bought a blue truck or something and said there's more blue trucks on the road than anything else. And I said, no, there's not. You're not even close. Now white. Yeah. Out, white out, by you're far. Exactly right. White is. Yeah. Yep. It's easy to color match, and yeah, yep. And usually cheaper from the factory. Exactly. That's why yeah. I saved money when I bought my Peterbilt. Black frame rails, white cab, white hood. There you <laughs> go. And then put the, put the color on it when it got the rack on it. Um. So what's the biggest sleeper that the Volvo have? Uh, it's, it's the, uh, 70 or 78 inch, I think is, is what it, it measures out to be. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but I'm gathering information every day. So there you yeah, go. You're looking for a mid, a, a mid rope or a high rope. Well, I'm, if I'm going to make it into a car, well, I'm going to cut the roof off it. So it <laughs> you want a flat top, roof. right? <laughs> yeah, we, need, we need a flat gotcha. top here. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I, I, yeah. Yeah. So, but maybe I'll make, maybe I'll make a big change altogether and I'll just quit hauling cars because to buy a new car carrier, if you want any sort of extras, mm-hmm. you know, and a high side trailer and a, a head rack that will do something. You're up over $400,000 now. Wow. Yeah, that's quite an investment. But come oh, on, wow. come on, Paul. You're knocking it down. You can afford that. I could go and buy a really good spec regular tractor and go and pull a different kind of trailer and at the end of the day probably make even a little bit more money because the... I- the insurance and car you know I, 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 i've known car haulers my whole career and they've always done well always yeah we had we had a bunch of guys um, at, a bunch of contractors like at, yeah. at fedex in florida that that went and did that it was back when we you were still limited to five trucks and they wouldn't let you put any more on and a bunch of the contractors went down there and started doing a bunch of car hauling yeah well there's been i really i've been doing it for 20 nearly 22 years but i've seen a lot of people come and go oh i'll bet you know they they're in it and and then oh eight no nine to hell with this crap and they bail and then they then they come back and then they 2020 to hell with this crap and they leave and then they come back but uh, i've just stuck with it all the time because one of the things i like about hauling cars is oh you've got a 5 a.m appointment you better be there otherwise you'll be unloading tomorrow so yeah. <laughs> I, de- I delivered cars at, at whenever nine, nine of my, my last my last three stops last night i delivered them when they weren't even there and i just left the keys in the drop box and well, carried I, on, so and I didn't have to I, get up early this morning. 
You know, I still have bad memories nice. about this as a kid. When I, when I was growing up, my brother was a, everybody in my family was truck drivers, but one of my brothers, when he first started, he was work, working for Martin Brower. They did all the McDonald's deliveries. I think they still do. Um, yep. Yep. This was they do a lot of that. Way, way back. I mean, I was a kid still in school. Um, so he would always bring home like giant bags full of Big Mac buns. Or whatever, you know, it was damaged or whatever, and he'd bring it home, and, you know, I'd be able to make a Big Mac at home, which was kind of cool. And then he got a new job, and he was hauling cars. And I was so disappointed. I'm like, when are you going to bring me a Corvette? <laughs> There's never one, but there you go. <laughs> I never got one. Uh, Arnie, the only time they don't want to take delivery is that if you've really damaged it really bad. And, oh, no, I've been there and done that. They Oh well, I delivered a, yeah, I was a Hyundai just, Genesis, brand new, to a rental car place, but I, it ended up going in the crusher, so I screwed up that day. So. I have I have yeah. two experiences <laughs> along these lines. Today must be storytelling day. Um, when I was uh, still in high school, I spent one of my last years in high school in a. I went to a different school that was a vocational school and I went for body shop and was already painting cars. And, um, one of our, our big class project was they had two cars that had fallen off of trains while they were being transported. And one kind of landed on the front end and just destroyed the front end. The other one, the whole back end was destroyed. And our class project was we had to cut both of them in half and put the good halves back together. That was a hell of a project. <laughs> Holy cow. That's we actually cool. did it. I mean, we actually pulled it off and we had a, yep. we had a car at the end of the year. Nice. And it was, yeah, it was finished. And you honestly couldn't tell. Um, we did a hell of a job nice. on that. The other thing was one of my first, jobs early on was in a body shop working in a body shop but i was at a new car dealer in their body shop and i had to, i was the newest guy i had to fix all that stupid little damage you guys did moving the cars around you know how hard it is to fix a like a ding on a brand new car and get paint matched right and they were coming out with all these crazy colors back then and clear coat and i had one car it was a um maybe a Riviera or a Tornado it was one of the kind of the it was one of GM's luxury cars one of their more expensive models and they had damaged the quarter panel on this thing and it was this weird new color I painted that thing seven times and we never got it right nobody could mix the yeah, paint wow. properly we never got that thing right I have no idea what they did with that car Yeah, so so I'm familiar with all the damage you guys do. <laughs> yeah, well, some of us do a lot less damage than others. Good. I, I think I'm a, <laughs> Good. I, I'm a, I'm a, let me, let me see. I'll just look, see what my damage rate is this year. I'm at uh, 717 vehicles delivered. Two vehicles damaged, so I'm at 99.72% damage-free delivery. You're a rock star. There you Holy go. Holy cow. Uh, and no wonder why you make the big bucks. Uh, 2020 20, 20 and 2021, I only had two write-ups, and I only paid for one of them. One of them was a cracked front windshield, 
and the other was a blown-out back windshield, which, because it blew out, the claim got denied and manufacturers sucked it up. So There yeah. you go. And that, that was out of just under 2,000 vehicles for two years. That's impressive. $629 for a Jeep Renegade, wouldn't you? Yeah, you know, I, I do have yeah. to I do have to come clean. Um, I had to fix some of my own damage once when I was at that dealer. They had brought in um, <laughs> this big dually back then, and, you know, the crew cabs were just starting to come out, and it was a big crew cab dually, and somebody had custom paint. It was brand new, but for I don't know if they sent it out somewhere or what it was, but it was like a custom conversion, almost like they were painting the vans back then. It had all kinds of stripes and different colors, and something, yep. there was something really minor on it, like a, something needed touched up, and it was no big deal. They had it parked out front, and I had to go get it and bring it in and fix it, and I was backing it out of the spot, and I wiped out the left front fender. Hit a telephone guide wire. <laughs> oh, my yep. God. I had to paint, like, seven different colors on that fender, and I got paid nothing yep. for it because I was the one that did it. The, the guy, the very first load I went on when I first started hauling cars back at the end of 2000, the guy that was training me, he's deceased now, but from Texas, and he said, let me tell you something. He said, there's two kinds of car haulers. And I'm thinking, yeah, he's been doing this a long time. He's going <laughs> to let me in on the big secret. He right. said, there's two kinds of car haulers. He said, there's those that have had damage and those that are going to have damage. Exactly. And he said, the ones that tell you they never had damage, it's either one or two things. They're just like you. They started today or they lied. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. All right. We are yeah, going so. to move along. Good stuff, Paul. We're going to head off to Kentucky, and I think I'm going to make this our last call of the day. Jeremy, welcome. Hey, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Well, uh, I've listened to you for a long time. Uh, first time I've called in, but uh, I became an owner-operator uh, last fall, uh, I haul fuel in the Louisville, Kentucky area. And uh, when I purchased the truck, um, didn't didn't follow through with everything that you've always preached and uh, didn't get a real good uh, pre-purchase inspection done. And I, I purchased a uh, 2011 uh, Freightliner Columbia. It's a glider with a, a Detroit 60 in it. And... Uh, it's uh, it, it's kind of nickled and dimed me to death since I purchased it, and uh, let me, let I've me, stuck uh, somewhere me, in the neighborhood. Yeah, let me ask you: Has that been um, cab and frame and other stuff, or engine primarily? Uh, a little bit of both. Uh, as far as the engine goes, uh, I mean, nothing too major. I, I, I had to get an injector replaced. Uh, I had to get a new ECM. Uh, this truck, when it was built, it wasn't like a Fitzgerald or anything like that. It was, it was some you know, unknown trucking company up in Wisconsin so, uh, that, so that bought a, the glider and then built it up themselves. And it's just so it's that's kind a, of a Frankenstein. That's a good point. Um, and Joel, you'll remember these days when, when we go back 
to when Joel and I started, virtually every dealer, it wasn't unusual to see a glider just sitting in their yard. And it was kind of, sometimes it was just there waiting yeah. if they needed one. I mean, we, there were gliders around back then. There were, and then they disappeared for a long time. But back when they were around, they had a horrible reputation. You never wanted to buy somebody's glider. And usually they got built because somebody wrecked a cab. The driveline was still new enough, you know, so that's typically what they were used for. But they were awful because you had dealers building maybe one or two a year. And it's a fairly complicated process to put these things together and put them together right, run all the wires the way they should be run. There's a, there's a lot to do. And gliders had a horrible reputation for that reason. And it was, it was a legitimate reputation. You could have a lot of problems with those things. Fitzgerald was kind of the first company to really make gliders right. They did so many of them. They were so good at it. They could build them fast. They build them really well. They eliminated a lot of those problems. Then we ran into the fact that even Fitzgerald was having all kinds of issues because we just couldn't get enough good blocks. And they started, I was down there when they were doing it. They started building blocks that they knew they shouldn't have. And they were doing it because the demand was so high for gliders. They could sell all the gliders they could build. And you just couldn't get enough primarily 60 series. Um, we should have went out and found all the N14s and started building with those too. But um, So there was a lot of problems there for a couple of years, injectors, blocks that shouldn't have been rebuilt. But it, it, the fact that you got one of these one-off gliders, this is what we used to see all the time. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. exactly right. Uh, and, it, and, you know, it, it was the, you know, that was kind of the biggie on the engine. And then, uh, this actually has a, a tag axle too. The, the front drive axle was a tag Ooh. and, uh, which I kind of thought was a, a positive when I purchased it. Cause I thought, well, when I'm empty, which, you know, half my miles are empty. Um, I can lift that axle should save me on fuel, save on tire wear. Um, but because I wasn't real uh, familiar with those and didn't didn't get it inspected, I wasn't aware of how uh, what what kind of shape it was in. It was in bad shape, and basically I had to get the whole tag axle rebuilt, uh, which was not cheap. No. Um, so anyway, at this at this point, you know, I'm I'm kind of I feel like at a crossroads. Um, you know, I. I'm not sure how much more I should keep sinking into the truck. Let, uh, me, let me help you, you know, with that. I kind of think. Let, let me help you with that. Okay. Um, I normally, I normally try to tell people to hold on to the truck you have. It, it's expensive. You, you, every time you get rid of a truck, you get rid of it at wholesale. You got to buy a new one at retail. There's the loss there. We're still taking a risk with the new truck. It, it, so my usual thought is let's do everything we can to work with what we have first unless we can just look at it and go it just doesn't make any sense and i will say this is one of those times doesn't make any sense do not keep this truck it's not going to get better it, it always in our mind we always think oh my god we've replaced everything this has to stop at some point but it never seems to when you get one of these trucks i've had them before my thought on a truck like this we know it was poorly built 
because whoever built it doesn't have a lot of experience building gliders. It's not like they were building thousands a year. Um, We know that's a problem with gliders. You've already seen that you've had the problems and how somebody wiped out a lift axle. Why did it have to be rebuilt? I've I've never seen that happen. And I'm not saying that this thing even should have had a lift axle or they did it right. I have a feeling they didn't. And that's what worries me that in my experience, when you have a truck like this, it never ends. You just get rid of it and start over. Well, and I've been listening to you guys for the past couple of weeks talking about the new Volvos. And quite honestly, at this point, I don't feel like um, still being fairly new on my own don't really feel like I'm, I should be purchasing a brand new truck. Um, but I've been kind of out on truck paper and things looking at some, you know, later model, uh, like flat top, uh, Volvos. And I, I don't know if, um, I've researched a little bit of the technology with the compounding turbos and things like that, which sounds like they've been around for a few years. It's not something brand new. Um, but I guess I just I kind of like to know what your opinion on the best truck for a local fuel hauler, you know, day cab sleeper doesn't really matter. But so, um, one of the first questions I would ask, and then we can get to the spec part of it. Just in general, what's your gross revenue a year, and how many miles do you run? Um, my. Average, based on what I've made so far this year, um, I should gross somewhere between uh, right around 240, 250. How many miles? Uh, miles, I'm looking at basically right at 100, 105. Okay. These are actually good numbers for local stuff. You know, I was going to say most local operations, I I tend to stay away from new trucks because it's just hard to justify the cost based on revenue. So, but in this case, you have plenty of revenue to justify the cost of a new truck and it's revenue on fairly low miles. So there should be plenty of profit there. Uh, So this may be one of those times where we actually do just spec um, a new truck to do this job. I, now, the other thing I would ask, what's your budget like at home? I mean, are you, you know, struggling to make payments every month and worried about it? Or are you doing pretty well? No, I'm, we're doing pretty well. Yeah, you, you'd be okay with the new truck. And I actually think that, you know, if you work and we spec this right, that it would actually be a good idea for you. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I 100% agree with you on this. I've got a, a buddy that I helped who's almost in the identical situation. It's mostly local, um, similar revenue, similar everything. And uh, we spec'd him a, a Volvo. Now, he went with a small sleeper. And we I actually, because he's too. local, we went with a, we went with a D11. And uh, we went with a 13-speed direct drive, which you won't often hear me recommend a direct drive anymore. But with the D11, the 13-speed direct uh, with a 231 rear axle ratio, and it was adaptive loading, 6x2 with a liftable. He just kills nice, it. Nice um, absolutely, absolutely loves the truck. Yeah, for, for local, yeah. it is damn hard to beat. And, and you're not paying the high dollar for the turbo compounder, which is really more at home on the highway than it is around town. It will work, but there's a significant upcharge versus the D11. The D11 is lightweight. It is 
a very nice little engine to drive. Um, you probably won't know that you're in a small block when you're driving it, especially with it geared the way that, that we have it set up with the direct drive 13 speed. Um, it, it would make all kinds of sense for that operation. And, you know, you're not going to have that big, uh, big money into it. Like you would a highway truck that you're trying to put into, um, local service. Okay. And what, I'm sorry, what'd you say the axle ratio? 231. Direct drive 13 speed. Yep. 13 speed I shift, not a manual I shift. Yeah. And, um, a two VNR. Uh, you can get it in a VNR or a VNL. I would go with the VNR. I love my VNRs. Um, they, they, they just turn on a dime. You get in and out of places super fast with them. Very, very nice trucks. Get it with the heavy duty adaptive loading that gives you the Primax suspension in the rear. It gives you the 14, six front, which you're going to need, uh, to maximize your, your axle uptime, uh, 231 direct and a four and a quarter, 1550, um, uh, D11, and you'll be a happy camper. That's an awesome setup. Okay. For local, that is a beautiful setup. And, and, I, and that, you know, of course, when we're loaded, you know, I'm, I'm 80,000 pounds. You, it you will like run 80,000 pounds with no problem at all. I ran that D11 at a 385, 1450 out to California and back, and I'd bring back 80,000 pounds with no sweat. Yeah. What yeah, in, I mean, that's what one thing with this truck uphill, I'm now, but but it, it does just fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm not on hills all that much around here, but yeah, I just I don't want to. I don't want something that um, I'm going to beat the truck to death. <laughs> well, you know, it, it will I'm, not. That, that D11, the D11 will outlast just about any engine on the road. It has the same um, life rating as the big block engines do. It is a very very stout 11 liter. Jeremy, let me okay. let me tell you, if I were okay. in your situation with your operation, the number of miles you run, what you do, looking at this truck, my goal would be I would keep this truck the way you just spec'd it, unless we get crazy new technology and we start getting 15 miles to the gallon or something. Everything else being equal, this would be a 10-year truck. Yeah, Absolutely. Wow. We've got several of them in our fleet, the D11s that are, that are, you know, closing in on 10 years. You just don't, the D11 is probably the most problem free platform on the market today. I used to say that about the 11 liter Detroit. Yep. Yep. Very similar to the 11 liter Detroit in a lot of ways. Well, it's just that, a damn good that setup great. that will run and run and run. It's not a centerfold. It's not sexy, <laughs> but it does the job day in and day hey. out, and hey. it will make your bank account look real nice. We can make it mm-hmm. sexy, yeah. though. Well, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll paint it that same grape ape color you have. Hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got one of these blue trucks out here like everybody else has. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely didn't purchase the truck I have to, to try to have the sexiest one out here. I was, I thought I was uh, trying to go uh, low maintenance with with the glider you know, you, and all that type of stuff. And your your you intentions know. were correct. Um, it's just that that you know there were a couple things that could trip you up with the gliders. One, if it got built bad, and this one probably did. And two, if you got a block that wasn't all that great, or you had a weak head on an older, you know, twelve seven, you're just going to have some problems. And, you know, for a lot of people, yeah, I will was, say it, I did was, at least, uh, go ahead. 
I was just saying, I, I did at least get like oil samples done and things like yeah. that um, yeah. when I purchased it and, and since I've had it. And everything's came back good. It doesn't, you know, it uses less than a gallon of oil every 15,000 miles between oil changes. Um, so there there are some yeah. some good yeah. good things about it, but, you, but I, I still just don't feel like the, it's going to last. This spec that Joel just gave you is ideal for a local operation is so efficient and you're going to love driving this thing. Okay. Well, that, that sounds great. Uh, I'll definitely, uh, start looking into it and, uh, see, see what the lead time will be on it. I'm sure it'll be something I'll have to wait on, but, uh, get a hold of me on social media if you can, or hey, I'll give you an email address that you can use. Sure. Um, Joel, at alpha drivers dash tc.com and the, this 11 liter thing is near and dear to my heart that's what i cut my me teeth too. on and i expect a ton of these things <laughs> me too i love this setup sorry you said alpha drivers at tc.com Al- dash alpha drivers dash tc.com okay I will. Uh, I'll get in touch with you and uh, see what we can figure out. Thank Excellent. you very much. All right, sounds good. Hey, Joe, we're going to wrap this up today. If you have anything you want to wrap up with, I have just a couple things. One, um, I love this segment. I really look forward to Fridays when all three of us are here. I really have fun with it, and it's kind of a day to for me mm-hmm. to kind of cut loose. You know, every day I've got to make mm-hmm. sure I've got tons of material and an open. And on Friday, I don't have to worry about it as long as I know one of you two are going to be here. There's a thousand things we could talk about. Uh, and when it's all three of us, it's fun and it's kind of a light day. And I get yep. to kind of joke around a little bit. And I've got a couple messages of, hey, why aren't we specking trucks, you know, every minute of this show? Why are we goofing around and talking about, you know, UFOs or whatever? (laughs) Because I want to and it's Friday. But I get it. The three of us really can bring a lot of value in that area. Specking trucks, helping people with these kind of, you know, technical issues. And I love doing that. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. If you and I and John come on and we just say, look, here's how you spec this truck and why, and we go through it all. Then we move on to the next truck. Here's how you're going to spec an international. Here's how you're going to spec uh, DD. And here's how you're going to spec the 11. At the end of the week, if we did that every day, all day long, nobody would retain any of it. I can promise you, you won't. Right. You will not understand. Right. When you first started bringing us the specs on these true downsped engines, I couldn't retain it. And I was hearing it over and over right. and over. And then later on, I'd go, why don't I remember that? Well, I don't remember it because I haven't done it. <laughs> I haven't worked through. So if all we do is come on here and keep saying that, you're not going to get it. So we will do that like we just did. If you call and you want us mm-hmm. to help you spec a truck for a specific operator, that's what we'll do. That makes a lot of sense. And there, there will be shows where we come on here and we stick right to the specs and we talk about them and explain them. But it's not going to be every week. That, that would just get really old and boring and nobody would retain it anyway. So, I mean, we've talked about why we spec this way. What are the reasons? What are the physics behind it? We'll keep doing that. But I think our our more practical approach to this is this last call. I just think we, if if he follows through on this, I think we just made a major change in his career as an owner-operator. 
Oh, there, there is no doubt. There is no doubt. Um, it, that 11 liter setup for local stop and go, you know, P and D type setup. It is, it, it is just awesome. I absolutely love that spec for that, that type of operation. And he will be shocked at his yeah. fuel efficiency and his reduction in maintenance. There's no doubt. And, and for people who haven't driven local, and I have, you have, you get this, that auto shift is gold. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> no gold. doubt about that. Yeah. I, you know what? I just done, I just done nine drops, Metro Atlanta. I'm on my last one. And, I could not even imagine going back to a 13 or 18 speed doing this this type you, of stuff. Could you, not imagine it. You know, one of the uh, when I was doing local P and D work, the worst setup I had, the worst setup for a day. One, I had a cab over GMC Astro. So, <laughs> you know what that does to a, a day of 30 stops. You know, and I used to do uh, yeah. 20 to 30 stops a day. That that was my average day. So 20 to 30 stops right. in and out of a cab over. That's a challenge to begin with. The thing rides awful. Yep. Um, it did have a 13 yep. speed, so I was shifting constantly. And get this. I'm doing 20 to 30 stops a day. This was Spartan, by the way, when I was contracted to Spartan in Ohio. They went out and bought. This uh -huh. was when 45-foot trailers were the biggest we had. We didn't... Uh, uh -huh. Yeah, everything we had back then was 45, and they approved 48-footers when we got the 48-foot. <laughs> and Spartan went out, bought a bunch of 48-foot trailers, fixed tandems and uh -huh. swing doors. Those are line hole trailers. <laughs> they, they, we would get stuck with those in the city. They'd give us one of those, God and we'd, we'd get stuck with it. 45-foot or 48-foot fixed tandems and swing doors. You go do 30 stops really? with that and a manual shift cab over? Oh, what a miserable day. You're, you're, yeah, you're ready to sleep at the end of the day. Oh. No doubt about that. Oh, no yeah. doubt about that, yeah. I mean, just figured you needed some exercise running. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. doors and shut them in and out. And, well, oh, my. You know, I was young and stupid and in good enough shape that I actually got to the point where I didn't climb out of the truck anymore. I jumped. I just opened the door and jumped. It was easier. Jumped, yeah. Yeah, it was easier. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I had done the same thing. I do that nowadays, and both my knees oh. would be in the other parking lot. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, oh, Joe, awesome. Hey, listen, I am at my last delivery gotcha. here, there so I got to get in here and finish this up, and we'll do this again next Friday. Hopefully, John will be around. Love it. Great stuff. Thanks, as always, Joel. We will talk uh, to you soon. Everybody have a great weekend. We are done here. We'll see you on Monday. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.